When there is unexplained suffering, uh, people often respond by coming to two, uh, what I would call false conclusions. Unexplained suffering, two false conclusions. One false conclusion is this. In the midst of inexplicable pain and suffering, the false conclusion goes something like this. God is good. God is loving. God is caring. But there are just some things God can't do. There are just some things that God can't take care of. I mean, it's a big universe, and he's got a lot on his plate, and he'd like to if he could, but he can't, so it just doesn't happen, okay? God is good, God is good, but he's just not all-powerful. He just can't do everything. That's one response. Uh, in fact, that is the response of uh, uh, best-selling book years ago uh, by Rabbi Harold Kushner, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. That was his conclusion. God is good, and he'd like to help, uh, but he just can't do that. And, and that's, that was basically the, the conclusion of that, of that book. Uh, and as politely and as courteously as I can say, I just disagree with that. Uh, because I don't believe that the Bible, I don't believe that the Hebrew Bible, that the Old Testament, either the Old Testament or the New Testament, uh, reflects God. Um, he is almighty. He is all-powerful. Uh, is anything too hard for the Lord? Nothing is too hard for the Lord, okay? Well, that then leads me to this other false conclusion. And the false conclusion that people come to is, well, since he is almighty, since he is all-powerful, he must not be good, Because if he were, then how could he let this go on? How could he let this kind of suffering and pain happen? How could this take place if, you know, and so you have, well, he's good, but he just can't do everything. Or, you know, he is all powerful, but he's just this bully. He's, he just, he's just not good. And, and I believe that that's pretty much where Job is, uh, the Old Testament character Job. I think that's kind of Job's conclusion, that God is all-powerful, that he's sovereign, that he's almighty, but he's given Job a bad deal, and, and he's not just. And for 30-some-odd chapters, Job has just been ranting and raving and He lost everything. He lost his wealth. He lost his health. And he sits among the ash pile, scraping the boils. And his friends come, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar. And for seven days, they were great. They just took care of him by saying nothing. But then they opened their mouths. And they started arguing with him as to why Job is suffering, why this has happened. And They tried to tell Job, well, Job, the reason why this has happened is because you've sinned. You suffer because you sin. Law of the harvest, if A, then B. All you got to do is just repent, man, and you'll get it all back. Just play along with it, Job. Job says, sin, I have not sinned. I've done nothing. I'm innocent. Therefore, God owes me an explanation. And after their argument, they don't get any further. And after their argument, we realize that They're arguing the same thing, just from different perspectives. 
They both have bought into this fossilized version of the law of the harvest. And Job's friends say, you suffer, that's, you know, you've sinned, therefore, that, that's why you're suffering. Job says, I'm innocent, therefore God owes me an explanation. If A, then B, and... <laughs> and Elihu, chapters 32 through 37, is the wisest, youngest of the bunch. And Elihu says, Job... You know, maybe this is not God's punishment on your life. Maybe it's a refining of your life. Maybe, you know, just because God is pleased with you doesn't mean he's through with you. And, and then, oh, chapter 37 was so good. Elihu, this, this storm that's brewing on the horizon. Elihu says, listen to that storm, Job. That storm, you know, God sends the clouds to punish evil or cover the earth with his love. The same storm, two purposes, two divine purposes, one storm, and really only God knows, you know. And Elihu serves as a a buffer (laughs) for what we are about to hear today. Job, Job has said, oh, if God would just show up and explain himself. He even arrogates himself to God's level, Job says in, in Job 31, 37, If he were to show up like a prince, I would walk among him. Be careful what you pray for. Be careful what you pray for. Because in Job chapter 38, Job's prayer is answered. And if you have your Bibles, I would like for you to turn there. Because in chapters 38 through the end of the book, God takes over and We've been hoping that he would show up to speak. That he even shows up at all is an act of grace. But as we listen to what the Lord says, and as Job sees and experiences the Almighty, I want us to, I want us to see in these verses that God is almighty and his wisdom is omniscient. And we're going to see the cosmic tour that that the Lord takes Job on through these verses to show Job his power and strength. And then then that's not the best thing that God gives Job. We're We're going to see what the best thing that God gives Job. And I'd tell you that right now, but I don't want to spoil it. But once I tell you, you will understand the entire book of Job here. This is a good Sunday to be here. Well, let's first consider chapter 38 and God's cosmic tour that he takes Job on. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? I think right there Job knew he was in over his head. Verse 3 says, brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. I love that phrase, brace yourself like a man, because it's a fantastic word picture. Brace yourself like a man. It is the word picture, and I love it. It literally, it literally God is saying, buckle your belt, hero. Buckle your belt. What do you mean by that? Well, in the ancient world, wrestling, there was a form of wrestling called belt wrestling. And the contestants, instead of trying to pin each other to the mat, the contestants would wear these belts. And the winner was the one who grabbed the belt off of the opponent and took the belt, claimed the victory. 
And so God is saying, oh, we have a hero here. That's what the word man literally means. Oh, we, he says to his angelic, look, look, everybody. We, so, oh, hero, come on up. You want to wrestle? All right, buckle up your belt. Let's get to work here. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me, Job, surely you understand. Surely you had the measuring tape, right? I was there when the earth's foundations were laid. In fact, the angels were there. Were you there, Job? Who stretched a measuring line across it? Let's not talk about that because you weren't there, were you? Let's talk about the ocean. Verse 8. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? That's a beautiful picture. Because you see, in Job's day, in the Canaanite and Mesopotamian countries which surrounded God's people, those Canaanites had myths about the creation of the ocean. And one of those myths was that the ocean was this raging sea goddess that needed to be subdued by the land God. And the one true Yahweh, creator of heaven and earth, says, Sea goddess... Ocean raging sea goddess? I don't think so. The ocean, what's the ocean, Job? An infant. Just a baby. A baby that I put in its diapers huh? when I made the cloud its garment. And then I, I, I was there. I was the midwife for the baby's birth and put the baby in the diapers. And then I put the baby in the playpen. Verse 10. I fixed limits for it and sets its doors and bars in place. And I said, this far you may come and no farther. Have you ever done that, Job? Well, let's not talk about the sea. Let's talk about the sunrise. Job, you accused me of not governing with justice. But let me tell you something, Job. Every time there's a sunrise, it's an act of justice. Because when the sun rises, the evil have no place to hide out in the streets. Because now it's sunlight Verse 15, the wicked are denied their light and their upraised arm is broken. Job, have you ever made the sun rise? Verse 18, have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell, tell me if you know all this, Job. Verse 21, surely you know because you were already born. You have lived so many years. Oh, listen, let's not talk about that. Let's talk about snow. Job, do you know that there's a public works department in Champaign? They keep a storehouse for salt. They're pretty much out by this time of year. But I want to tell you something, Job. I have a storehouse for snow. And my storehouse for snow is bigger than their storehouse for salt. And I can just take the snow and scatter it any way I want. I can determine who wins wars by snow and hail I can do that, Job. Can you, Job, did you know that whenever lightning strikes, it strikes because the lightning bolts first reported to me wanting to know where we should go. Can you do that, Job? Let's talk about stars. Can you bind the beautiful Pleiades? Verse 31. Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons? Lead out the bear with its cubs? Can, can, can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Psalm chapter 147, verses 4 and 5 say, He determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. Now let's just think about that for a minute calls each of the stars by name. 
Now, you know our son is a star, right? And, and our son is a part of a galaxy. The Milky Way, how many stars? 500,000 million of them. I know every one of them, Job. I know the names. I've named every one of them. They don't need name tags for me in the foyer. I know them. I know them by nine. Now, that's just one galaxy. And there's 100 billion galaxies. 100 billion. And I know all of the names. And Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that Jesus, God the Son, created and sustains such galaxies of the universe Is that the kind of God you're trying to haul into court? Huh? Let me put it this way. Do you have a God-sized God? Do you? Hmm. Well, Job, why don't you get in my Land Rover? Enough of outer space. Let's go on a safari. Oh, Job. Verse 39. Do you know any, do you hunt the prey for the lioness and satisfy the hunger of the lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in a thicket? Job, you've complained that there's no justice on earth, but Job, do you know that, I mean, out in the wilderness, creatures, some creatures eat other creatures in order to survive. How does that fit with your fossilized version of the... Where's the justice in that, Job? How does that fit it with your fossilized version of the law of the harvest, huh? Who provides food for the raven when it's young cries out to God? Uh, Job, do you know that there are animals that exist that don't even know you exist? I'm thinking of, you know, wild mountain goats. Do you know, verse, chapter 39, verse 1, do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you watch when the doe bears her fawn? Job, there are animals out there that don't even know you exist and they give birth. But And I've never missed a birth, Job. I've never missed a birth. I'm there for everyone. And Job, furthermore, there are animals out in the wild that you will never, ever be able to tame. The, who let the wild donkey go free? Can you hold him to the furrow with a harness? Verse 10. What do you think? What about the wild ox? Will the wild ox consent to serve you? Come on, Job. Oh, let's talk ostrich. Yeah, what a stupid bird, right? That bird flaps its wings, and I mean, it's never going to get off the ground, but it's going to keep flapping its wings, and and it just lays eggs on the ground. It kind of leaves it there. It could step on them and everything. What an ugly bird. I'm telling you, a stupid, ugly bird, but never bet. Never bet against it at Churchill Downs. No, no. No. Verse 18, yet when she spreads her feathers to run, she laughs at horse and rider. Oh, and let's talk about horses for a minute, Joe. How does the horse, the war horse, charge into the thick of battle and and not freak out? How does, in fact... In frenzied excitement, he eats up the ground. He looks forward to it. He cannot stand still when the trumpet sounds. Verse 24, at the blast of the trumpet, he snorts. Ah, he catches the scent of battle from afar. How does that horse do that? Did you make that horse? Did you allow that horse to do it? Does the hawk take flight by your wisdom? Huh? What about the eagle? Does the eagle soar at your command? Job. Chapter 40, verse 2, will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? 
Let him who accuses God answer him. These questions are not meant to educate Job. They're meant to stun him. They're not meant to enlighten his brain. They're meant to cause his knee to bow. And that's exactly what Job does. Job rips off his belt and says, here, you win. <laughs> you, and he says in chapter 40, verse 4, the wisest three words that he has said all throughout the entire book. Job's wisest words to date. Job chapter 40, verse 4. I'll tell it to you in the original Hebrew. Here it is. I am small. I am small. No fake. No fake, Job. I am, how can I reply to you? I mean, I, I, I mean I, I'm going to put my hand over my mouth. Good idea. Really, good idea. And you know what happens next, don't you? God gets down on his knees and says, okay, buddy, come on. Give me a hug. Everything's okay now. Not quite. Not quite. God says to Job, you wanted to talk? Let's talk. You wanted to talk. Would you discredit my justice? Verse 8. Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Huh? Do you have an arm like God's? Can your voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor. And then, 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 if you can do that, verse 14, then I myself will admit to you that your own right hand can save you. And, and in chapters 40 and 41, the Lord describes two, and they're either, they're either mythological creatures that uh, uh, Job's culture was aware of, or they are Creatures from the wild, which descriptions have been exaggerated in this poetry here, but the creatures are the behemoth, the behemoth, which may have been like our version of the elephant or the hippopotamus, or the leviathan, the crocodile. And God says, look at the behemoth, Job, which I made along with you, verse 15. You know, his tail sways like cedar, bones, tubes of bronze, he ranks first among the works of God. And God says, Job, all I got to do is rattle his saber. And he just, he just whimpers like a puppy dog. Can you do that? And then he talks in chapter 41 about the Leviathan. The Leviathan, oh, this, 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 this dragonian-like figure, crocodile-like figure. And I love what 41.5 says. Job, can you make a pet of him like a bird? Can you put him on a leash for your girls? I can, Job. Can you do that? Job, there's this guy in Champagne. He gets bills every month. You know what? I don't do bills, Job. Verse 11 says, Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. And at the conclusion of this cosmic journey in which the Lord stuns Job with the glories of created wonders, constellations and storms and snow and stars and, and wildlife and oxen and donkey and deer. And, and, and it's almost as if God looks around and it's just in the most appropriate sense of the word. He's just so pleased. 
He's pleased with what he has made and created because his power and his wisdom made it and understands it and sustains it and gets it. And after all of this cosmic tour in which God just shows Job his creative wonder, at the conclusion of that, God looks down and says, okay, now, what was it you wanted to know? And the message is very clear. The message to Job is very clear. If Job is to enter the divine arena, he must show his credentials. And for all of these chapters, Job has been saying, God, I don't understand. Put yourself in my place. And here the Lord says, no, you put yourself in my place. Job, if you don't understand what you can see, if you don't understand the visible world, the seen world, What in the world makes you think you're going to get what you can't see? Give me your belt, buddy. And in chapter 42, verse 1, it says, Job replied to the Lord. He gives him his belt here. I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. I I talked out a turn. Yeah, you did, bud. I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. Verse 5 says, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. God gave Job this journey showing his display of awesome power and wisdom. But even more importantly than that, and here here we get to the crux of this book, God gave Job himself. Himself. Because you see, church family, God is greater than all his answers. God's sovereign grace is greater than than all of his answers. If Job would not be satisfied with God himself, he's not going to be satisfied with God's answers. But we were created for God. We were created for truth, capital T. For the answerer, capital A. And Job just says, here's my belt. I trust you. Someone once wrote, Would the child of Arnold Schwarzenegger worry about tight pickle jar lids? Does the son of Nike founder Phil Knight sweat a broken shoestring? If the daughter of Bill Gates can't turn on her computer, does she panic? Should you? Someone might be saying, yeah, but I just don't, I just can't understand why God would let this happen. I just can't see the reason. So does that mean there's not a reason just because you can't? See the reason? Are you saying that that, that's that's a logical fallacy, you know? I mean, listen, if you are, if you're mad enough at the God who's big enough that upsets you because you can't see the reason for your unexplained suffering, is it possible that that same God is big enough to have reasons that you can't possibly grasp? Is it that we can't possibly grasp? You see, We know why Job's suffering. We know because we've looked at chapters one and two and Satan Satan accused Job of having a phony faith. 
And furthermore, he accused God of blessing Job's phony faith. And so Satan asks the question. He puts the question on the table. Does Job serve God for nothing? And at the end of this book, you know what we find out? Yeah, he does. He serves God for nothing. What kind of a community would be influenced by a congregation? Would Satan say that of us? Does Windsor Road serve God for nothing? How would this community be affected if, if the answer were, yeah, they do. They serve God for nothing. And so Job's not going to know the answer. He's not. And how, how would that teach us about persevering faith if he did know? Faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we don't see. How would it be instructive if God had said to Job, look, Satan's going to test you. You're going to have all these boils. You're going to be in this ash heap. Play along with it, and we'll settle up later, okay? So he gets on the ash heap, scrapes himself with boils. Oh, oh, wink, wink. How is that instructive? How is that helpful? It's not. Job doesn't know. Job never knows. All he knows is that God is almighty and God is all-knowing and he is the God who is the God of all grace and all mercy. And that's why James chapter 5, verse 11 says, As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Does Job serve God for nothing? Yes. Yes, he serves God for nothing. And that's the measure of true faith. Do you like it when people, you know, cozy up to you? You're an influencer. You're wealthy. You're the boss. Do you like it when people, you know, want to be your new best friend? Well, what is that? that there's, is there something phony about that? But do they love you just for you? And Job loves God just for God. And he realizes that God doesn't owe him anything. He doesn't owe him anything. And, and once Job comes face to face with God, he doesn't need any answers because Job was made for community with God. And by the way, that's why the Lord was unhappy with Job's friends. 42 verse 7, after the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. And I'm afraid, I fear, that perhaps their descendants live on even in our church I mean, I really am. I'm, I'm, concerned that, I'm concerned that we would come here year after year after year, week after week after week, and we would, we would have people who would leave here saying, well, if I just worship God enough, if I just serve God enough, if I just go to church enough, if I just give enough, if I just get in a small group enough, if I just serve in the nursery enough, then, oh, you know, God will give me this and this and this and this and this. And then that's, God doesn't owe anybody anything. We worship him for who he is in his power. He doesn't owe us life. Everything we have is by his grace. And sometimes that grace shows up in prosperity and health. And sometimes that grace shows up in poverty and cancer. Life and death. God be the glory.
And so God said to the friends, you sacrifice seven bulls and seven rams, a very expensive offering. Only the nobility could afford. And you go to my servant Job, and this is a twist because you see the friends had originally thought that they were the ones who were gonna pray for Job and kind of be his priest before God to restore him, but it's the other way around, isn't it? And my servant Job will pray for you. So there on the ash heap, Job prays this place of death, this sacrifice is given. Job prays and the friends are restored to the Lord and to Job And after Job prayed for his friends, the Lord, verse 10, made him prosperous again. Why did God do that? As a reward? No. He did it because he can. That's why. He did it because he's a God of grace. And you see, possessions are not safe for us until we learn to serve God without them. And Job learned that. And God blessed him. All the brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came, ate with him. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought upon him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. Isn't that interesting? They contributed to the rebuilding of Job's estate. And, and, and the Lord blessed that and took that. And Job's life in the latter part, was blessed more than in the first, twice as much livestock, 10 children, beautiful children, beautiful. Nowhere in the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. And and after this, Job lived 140 years, saw his children and their children to the fourth generation, and so he died old and full of years. Why did God let that happen? He did it because he could. It's all grace. So give him your belt, will you? You might say, well, I wish I could see God face to face. You know what? We have. It goes back to something in chapter 40, verse 8. Would you condemn me to justify yourself? And the answer to that question is yes. Because on the cross, God the Son who walked this earth, we have seen God's glory. The beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And Jesus bowed his head before the ultimate storm of suffering so that we could be justified before a holy God. Give him your belt. He's God.